By her own admission, Matsimo Dise does not look a day over 25. But you would do well not to underestimate this 30-year-old executive who has recently been appointed Managing Director of Simodisa, an influential South African industry-led initiative launched to address the hurdles faced by small and medium-sized enterprises and startups. Formerly the National Executive Director of the South African Black Entrepreneurs Forum, Matsi is an avid entrepreneurship activist and a successful entrepreneur in her own right, having co-founded the business development advisory firm Emerge. She's also been inducted as a World Economic Forum Global Shaper and appointed the South African chapter head of the Pan-African Foundation, Africa 2.0. In this conversation, Matsi speaks to me about finding her voice and not being afraid to use it. This is African Tech Conversations. is your earliest musical memory? My earliest musical memory was doing Evita. And this is when I was in primary school and I remember it was one of those school um, musicals that we did at the theater um, in the little city where I grew up, which is Bloemfontein. So I remember acting, singing, and the words still resonate to me till this day. Some, some of the things I can actually sing in the shower. <laughs> so you're a singer? Uh, no, I'm not a singer, but I am quite a musical individual. You know, I used to play the violin. I can play the uh, piano and I enjoy music. That's what really gets me up um, anytime I'm down. Think back to that world you just described. Hear Evita playing in the background. See yourself on that stage. Think back to your city, your little town, Bloemfontein, in the free state uh, in South Africa. What did that world look like? And I want you to sort of compare that world with the world you live in today. That world was gray and brown. We did wear green and brown shoes at school. So those colors do really stick out when I think of that city where I grew up. Now there's just color, there's texture based on the work that I've been doing, based on global affiliations that I've had, you know, traveling to India, traveling to Israel, um, you know, traveling on the continent. So that has brought in a lot of color into my life. Um, and just the kind of work that I do, there's a lot of energy around me because there's entrepreneurs with ideas. And I just, there's a lot of color right now. Help me get a sense of what kind of child you were. Were you a happy child? Were you an optimist? Has that changed in any way? I was a very quiet and calm child, but very inquisitive. Um, whenever my mom would talk to me, she would always get a sense that I'm, she's not listening. She's not with me right now. She's in another world. And she would always wonder, what in the heavens is she thinking about now? Um, I was a very creative child, you know, art, drawing, music. So I really, really enjoyed the arts. And in terms of things changing, yes, I'm more now I'm passionate about you know, business, entrepreneurship, the economy. However, I found a way of integrating their creativity around it based on the work that I've been doing in the space. It's a function of how do we disseminate information? How do we integrate? How do we interact? But in a very creative, perhaps quirky manner, not the usual uh, way that perhaps the government would do a workshop on entrepreneurship. No, we do it very differently. And that's what, um, that's where my creativity comes in, you know, and that's something that I've always had growing up as a child, but very soft-spoken. However, now I'm quite um, vocal, you know, about my, my, my thoughts, about my vision, about my passion, and it kind of lives itself as I, I do my work. 
And where did you find that voice? Was it something that happened in high school? Was it at Wits University where you studied finance? Where did you find your voice? Definitely not in school. Um, I was quite a calm individual. However, my sense of leadership has always come out. You know, that based on me being a prefect in primary school, deputy head girl in varsity, um, not varsity, in, in, in high school. Uh, me, I suppose, you know, now, you know, taking up roles and responsibilities at the World Economic Forum, Global Shapers, um, you know, Africa 2.0. So that's some, my leadership ability has been something that has always been there. Um, but my voice came out when I took up leadership at the South African Black Entrepreneurs Forum because um, within two months of being there, I was able to kind of now tap into my inner passion of my people, of developing my people, of ensuring that we are able to get more of my people to be entrepreneurs. And how then do we bring all these initiatives and activities and, and, and information and take it to where my people live? So that voice came out, I suppose, um, in 2012 when I then took up the opportunity to being the National Executive Director of um, the South African Black Entrepreneurs Forum. That's when I knew there's a comrade in me, you know, who's kind of fighting the greater cause and ensuring that there's economic liberation of South Africans. My people. Define my people <laughs> in the context of everything you've just said. I would say my people are, yes, black people. Um, but black people who want to add value to South Africa, who want to add value to um, the economy, who want to be accountable for their own actions, who want to open their eyes and you know see the opportunities that exist and see those opportunities, and who want to look beyond just South Africa and say, how then do we create value, you know, not just for Africa, not just for South Africa, but for the globe. But we are South Africans. So it does not necessarily mean color, but it's for people like myself who wake up and don't see gender, who don't see color, but see opportunity and see themselves as South Africans that want to see these opportunities. You've done a lot with yourself professionally. Uh, you've mentioned SABF, which mm -hmm. is more recently. Uh, you've dabbled with investment banking. You founded a strategic advisory firm. You've served as a director in various boards. Share some highlights, if you will, of you know, some of the things you've learned at different, some of the most important things you learned in the different roles you've played since maybe leaving varsity. It's, it's interesting um, when somebody, when I meet somebody, perhaps they haven't necessarily met me in person. And then when they meet me, they're like, oh, geez, you look like you're 25 years old. <laughs> And then I would explain, well, yes, I am 30 years old and I have done all these crazy, wonderful things because, you know, I've just always followed my passion. But the one thing that I've learned is your passion will always pick you up in the morning. You know, um, your ability to be resilient, um, your ability to be loyal to your passion is something that has to always keep you moving because the adversities are there. And also a function of how do you create your own universe? Like I said, when I was growing up, you know, my mom felt like Matsi is in her own little world. I tend to be in my own little world. Um, and that particular world is what has necessarily helped me progress through all the opportunities I've had, <clears throat> through all the leadership roles that I've had, because I don't see things as everybody else sees them. Hence, then the output is very different to what other people have done. So it's, it's very good to be in touch and in tune with your own world. Um, and then find a way of how then do you 
collaborate other people's worlds into what you're doing. So I seek a lot of uh, mentorship from, um, I mean, since my Investec days, um, you know, I've had wonderful mentors. Um, people like Stephen till this day always say, Matsy, when are you coming back to Investec? And I'm like, Stephen, the reason why I've left is because I'm living my passion. Uh, Peggy Sukumalo, you know, she's a very good sister to me. Um, she's always just taught me, um, you know, how to be, professional, how to carry yourself well, how to conduct yourself in a professional manner. Um, and also just talking to entrepreneurs or talking to people with ideas. Um, for me, it's something that kind of says, well, here is something that it's worth pursuing because it gives you that energy every day. You know, you keep, you, you want to keep pushing because, you know, now you're living for something and you are going to help people, um, you know, um, get their ideas out there into, you know, life, real life um, realities. And let's talk a little bit about the accolades and some of your honorable appointments. Uh, which ones mean the most to you and why? I know you just mentioned in passing the World Economic Forum uh, Global Shaper gig. Would that be like one of the more important ones for you? I would say not. Um, what I appreciate about what the World Economic Forum Global Shapers has given me is a platform to tell the world what I am doing in South Africa and the work that I'm doing and, you know, my passions and also to give the world an idea of the progression of South Africa in terms of entrepreneurship, small business development, integrating underserved communities into the mainstream economy. So I would say the World Economic Forum has served that, but I wouldn't say it's, a, it's um, you know, my, my biggest accomplishment thus far. I think my ability to, you know, be deemed a thought leader, you know, as young as I am, having been deemed a thought leader in the entrepreneurship development space, I suppose across the board, whether it's with the World Economic Forum, Africa 2.0, working with you know the South African Black Entrepreneurs Forum, sitting on the Startup Nation South Africa board, for me that's kind of a, a culmination of, of it. I wouldn't say there's one that sticks out because essentially if you're passionate about something, somebody will always recognize you and want you to be part of that because it's now you know in integrating yourself with like-minded people globally. So my ability to kind of go beyond growing up from, you know, a small little village in the, not village, but Kwakwa is a small little town in the free state going to Bloemfontein. I love the fact that I'm able to show young people from where I come from that it's possible. The world is your oyster. So um, there's nothing that really sticks out, just culmination of everything else. No doubt in your previous role as National Executive Director of the South African Black Entrepreneurs Forum, Sabif, you had to morph, like you, you mentioned earlier, into a unique hybrid, you know, within corporate. What do you identify yourself with most readily? Activist, businesswoman, or politician? Oh, I would have to say activist. Um, businesswoman, by virtue of the work that I do, you know, the advisory work that I, I have clients that I, you know, would like to just tap into my brain and my thoughts and help them, you know, structure um, you know, their way forward in terms of how do we help small businesses. So an activist and a businesswoman. Yeah, definitely not politician. <laughs> well, I mean, I heard you say comrade, so I thought I might just throw that in there. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I mean, comrade in the sense that, you know, you're just very much so in love with a passion and a vision and you want to drive it. And that's kind of, you know, where the comrade thing comes from. <laughs> So do you ever feel like you have to work harder to prove yourself because maybe A, you're a black executive or B, you're a woman? Not at all. I don't see color and I don't see gender. 
And I do struggle when I am now in an environment that wants to engage on color or engage on gender because, like I said earlier on, I just have created my own world. And in that world, I don't see any differences. It's just people that want to do something epic, people that want to disrupt and people that want to pursue their passion. So, um, yeah, I would struggle in an environment where now I have to deliberate on I'm a woman and I'm struggling and there's a glass ceiling. In my world, there's no glass ceiling. In my world, you know, the world is your oyster. Um, everything is out there for you to go and get it. So, um, no, I don't have those kind of complexes, not at all. What do you say to, you know, young women listening to, to this conversation who perhaps do trade on those metrics? You know, South, South Africa makes it very difficult not to think racially or <laughs> to racialize even the most basic elements of life. And yet, to be fair, there's enough in our reality as professionals, as entrepreneurs, perhaps as activists, that reminds us that things aren't as they should be. What would you say to someone in, in trying to find a happy medium? Well, I would say that don't be a victim, you know, whether of color or gender, you know, so don't conduct yourself as a victim of a situation. And by doing that, you literally liberating yourself from now falling within a category and within those categories are challenges. So I don't like people that victimize themselves. There's a lot to, you know, when you, it pains me every time I walk around and there's young black people who don't have jobs, young black people who are doing menial jobs, you know, whereby it's like, well, you're young, you're black, you're a woman. There's just so much opportunity. The only thing that's stopping you is your ability to see those opportunities. Because what sets myself apart to somebody who will be comfortable and happy doing something that's not really going to add much value to our economy or to their own lives, it's because I choose to see the other side, which doesn't have boundaries, which doesn't have limits. I choose to say, no, I'm going to go beyond that. I thrive when people tell me, I am young, I am black, and perhaps this is not your world. And I'm, I'm like, well, I'm going to show you that this is my world. So in a very... Um, latent way i'm quite a competitive person i always stretch myself and not to prove anything to anybody else but to prove it to myself you know because i'm all for results and and achieving things so it's a function of well you know i've set the bar the bar is quite high now i need to reach that bar and i need to excel because i mean i love the fact that i'm working with amazing people now at simodisa who are globally um, I would say globally because, I mean, our chairman, Peter de Villiers, has, you know, he's a Cape Town startup that's scaled up globally. So I love the fact that I'm working at that level. And I'm never happy when I'm in an environment that's not an A-team environment. I struggle. You know, I struggle with people that see themselves as victims because I believe that those you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting parameters that only you can remove or only you can put there. So it's a function of don't be a victim. Don't tell yourself you're female, so therefore I cannot be an entrepreneur. Don't tell yourself that I'm black, therefore I'm not going to be able to access this particular um, opportunity because I'm black and I don't have capital. I'm black and I don't have land. Go get it. Go and get it. Nobody is really going to stop you. What you've just said is a, is a, a lovely segue into, into discussing your current role at Simodisa. I'll ask you to tell us a little more about that. Given your current role here at Simodisa and your mandate to assist small and medium-sized enterprise, and the fact that technology now plays a vital role in delivering competitive advantages, not just to tech startups, but 
to you know even tra traditional business that's looking to remain relevant or even grow mm -hmm. in, in a modern economy. How focused is Simodisa uh, on helping startups with a specific focus on digital tech innovation? Well, Simodisa's main role and um, key objective is to amplify and catalyze the ecosystem. Um, there's a lot that's been put in place, um, whether it's the legislation, whether it's the uh, programs, whether it's money that's been given um, for small businesses, whether it's the you know, gaining capacity. So we believe that um, South Africa has the ingredients to creating a very strong ecosystem, but nothing really puts it all together. So Simodisa wants to catalyze and amplify what's already been done by connecting the dots that exist. Um, so yes, there is a strong focus on technology. However, you know, as an ecosystem player, we do want to focus on People that want to start a business, they, we need to provide them the tools. Um, there's also a strong advocacy role because as much as you can have an ecosystem, um, the relationships that exist within the ecosystem have to be healthy. So how we engage with the government and advocate on behalf of small businesses, startups, um, you know, and business, small business in general, it has to be a healthy relationship between the public and the private sector. So engaging with the Department of Science and Technology, um, engaging with the DTI, with the Small Business Development Ministry, um, it's quite key for us to keep those very healthy um, relationships so that our partners, you know, who would be corporates that perhaps invest within the vision of Simodisa, they want an avenue or conduit that's going to, you know, really get them to engage with the government and contribute towards legislation because policy review, um, policies on how, you know, that govern small business development, um, we constantly engaging the government in that regard and saying, well, this is not really working. You need to possibly look into doing it in a certain manner because here are all the challenges, here are all, you know, the things that are stopping it from it being a policy that's doable because South Africa is known to be a country that has amazing legislations, but implementation is void. It's non-existent. So it's a function of how do you, um, you know, have a bottom-up approach and the other wonderful thing about Simodisa is that it has uh, convening power. So getting mm, all the stakeholders in the ecosystem to come together and then convene to ensure that now there is collaboration and there is that positive uh, flow of ideas and also constant engagement. I've got a couple of boxes in my head that I'm going to try and organize what you've just said into. <laughs> and tell me if Simodisa fits. Sure. Accelerator, Venture Capital Fund, Association... Lobbying group? Does Simodisa fit into any of those boxes? Are you guys the movers arranging those boxes? I would say we essentially move the boxes. You know, uh, we are not an, an accelerator, but we engage with accelerators. And in fact, one of the key projects that we're doing this year is um, engaging the DTI's incubator support program that already exists. Because at this point, there is a lot of investment that's gone into incubation. Um, whether it's corporations investing in incubators or whether it's the DTI setting up incubators for specific sectors. So now it's a function of, well, we know that it's great that we have incubators for small businesses, but how efficient are they? You know, how are we tracking the progress of those incubators? How are we measuring what the impact of those incubators has had in small businesses? 
when a small business goes into an incubator and then exits, has that small business now been able to be sustainable? Does that small business not know how to now run its, its, itself properly? Does it have access to markets? Has it employed uh, more people than what it used to employ, if any people? So we need to now, you know, and Simodisa would then do that monitoring and evaluation of the impact of incubators. So we are not an incubator, but we would want to see, is it efficient? Is it aligned to the National Development Plan? You know, is the investment within those programs really worth it? And then we should be able to advise the government and say, well, we've done now a monitoring and evaluation exercise, and this is what the, the outcomes are. And you guys need to stop um, you know, investing in, in incubators or to continue investing because our monitoring and evaluation has said X. So that's what we would do. We'd essentially, I'm just giving you an example with the, um, the incubators um, that exist in South Africa. I would say, yes, an advocacy group. Uh, we'd rather use the word advocacy than lobby which is essentially the same thing, but we are an advocacy group. We are an industry association, uh, most certainly. But see us as an organization that connects the dots, an organization that's a mouthpiece of small businesses and you know all the stakeholders within the ecosystem. So given what you've just described, a recent trip you've, you've taken to Israel and some of the ex- successful models you've observed in that country where you know of public-private partnerships that have worked really well, that... I'm assuming that Simodisa would would love to sort of be at the forefront of bringing into this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Well, I'll tell you about one of the initiatives we are doing within Simodisa and then also just a little bit of detail on my trip to Israel. So um, creating a matched venture capital fund between government and the private sector is what sets Simodisa apart from all the other um, you know, players within the small business development associations such as ours. You know, as much as we catalyze and amplify, we are also in the process of putting together a matched fund whereby government will work with the private sector, I mean pu- the private sector in terms of creating a, ro- a more robust venture capital community. Yes, there are some venture capital funds, you know, a fund c- a funding companies. However, relative to the rest of the world, especially progressive economies that have had small businesses um, providing most of the employment opportunities, South Africa is nowhere near. So we have to start igniting that particular venture capital um, environment. So that is our attempt at that creating, you know, this matched fund. So um, Israel is, you know, a startup nation. Well, it's in the middle of a desert and there's not much, you know, that, 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 that grows there. But it's been a nation that's been able to create a lot out of nothing. So my visit to Israel um, was quite interesting. I'm not going to go into the geopolitics because those are very intense. And, you know, the society is quite an angry, complicated society. However, if you kind of clo- choose to close your eyes on what's happening geopolitically and focus on now startup nation, small businesses, it's very, very vibrant. Um, you know, there's startup cafes. Um, there's a lot of, you know, working environments like, um, you know, similar to it's one we visited was WeWork. So that's essentially an incubator whereby there's hot desks and everybody's just working together, collaborating. And, you know, it's just how all these entrepreneurs come together. 
Um, then also in terms of venture capital, you the Yosma program, it's kind of, you know, the, the iconic example of, you know, how the government and the private sector created a venture capital fund um, that has had astounding results in terms of, you know, um, exiting of businesses uh, and then also lower listings of these companies. You know, now they are on the New York Stock Exchange and it's kind of created a framework for how do you actually make venture capital work? So, you know, it was wonderful having a sense of, you know, how that particular program works. And then we met the We Crowd guys that are now, you know, the Yosma project is not necessarily program. Is now it's it's an active because it's done its mandate, it's achieved its mandate, and it's now global um, great example of how VC funds work. But now there's the We Crowd guys who are now you know engaging and are being very active in the venture capital space. And so well, Simodisa and We Crowd, we potentially going to be you know engaging. And there's a lot that South Africa can learn from Israel. You know, there really really is a lot. It's kind of a little little country. It's as big as the Kruger National Park, but there's a lot of activity. Um, there's a lot of vibrancy um, and also just the whole spirit of patents and, you know, people being able to come up with wonderful ideas, patent those ideas, um, create something out of those ideas. And also how there is a great collaboration between academia, between, you know, the funders. So it's all kind of collaborated in a very nice way and everybody seems to work in research and development, academia. So I think South Africa can learn a lot from Israel. Israel being as big as Kruger National Park just hit me in the face right now because when I think of the vast scale of our continent and how it's almost shameful that we can't get our act together as a continent mm -hmm. to make it, some magic happen. And that's not to say magic isn't happening in pockets. Mm -hmm. I suppose that's that speaks to the dots uh, joining exercise that Simodisa hopes to do in that are you recognizing that there's there's potential huge potential that everyone else has been blind to up until this point I think it's a function of many things because if perhaps the geopolitics do matter and do contribute towards how and why Israel is a country of startups it's a country known for its technology um they came from a very oppressive environment, you know, whether it's Palestine, whether it's, you know, Israel, whether it's oppressed Jews. Um, and it's a function of how do we now build ourselves? I mean, there's about more or less 50 million Jewish people globally. But if you had to look at the South African economy, um, you know, look at Bitvest, look at Investec, look at uh, Discovery. I mean, there's numerous amounts of businesses that are like um, essentially industrialists in South Africa. Um, perhaps, I mean, South Africa can learn a lot because, yes, we also had a, a very oppressive history. But we did not take it to the next level like Israel has. We should not see ourselves as victims. You know, it kind of adds to what I was saying that you choose to see yourself as a victor or a victim. Um, it's a choice that you make. And, and, and you know, the Jewish entrepreneurs that um, came out of, um, well, I mean, you know, that, that society, Israel has about 5% unemployment. And South Africa for more than eight years, 10 years, has been staggering at, you know, not less than 25% unemployment. Uh, there's something that we're not doing right. Um, if the 2030 vision is to be realized, then we have to now 
look at the core, look at the foundation, um, apply global best practices, and how do we then make it into a South Africa solution for South Africa's problems? As much as we can take Malaysia as a good example in terms of some of our policies, you know, Singapore, Brazil, um, we it's, it's good to learn how they've done it. Israel also could be a good example, but we have to come up with our own unique South African solution. What I'm hearing you say as well is this just no excuse. I mean... Oppression could have, could turn into the biggest uh, advantage we have, create something the world would never have had otherwise. South Africa has had first run advantage for a long time. Now, you know, Nigeria is kind of, you know, coming behind us quite quickly. And, you know, there's Kenya, there's Ghana, all these emerging markets on the continent. And it's like, guys, how do we continue to be the first runner? How do we continue? But it's not going to happen if we are not an educated nation. It's not going to happen if we're not coming up with new technologies and new ways of doing things. You know, South Africa needs to be able to have global solutions. As much as we can have South African solutions for South Africans' problems, don't kind of come up with those solutions only for South Africa. Kind of look off, how do we create the next best this it has to come out of South Africa. You know, Kenya, it's put Kenya on the, on the map. Now, in terms of technology, what is going to put South Africa on the map? Because we've been able to export wonderful people such as Elon Musk, PayPal, um, um, you know, Mark Shuttleworth. Um, how do we make sure that the people that are within South Africa are not necessarily exported? They stay here and they create industries that are now able to create those jobs. All right. Well, now moving on to something else. Yeah. <laughs> Now, there's an ongoing debate about whether incubators and accelerator programs on the continent are succeeding at mm. empowering startup founders with what they need in order, to, in order to succeed. And some critics call them glorified and overpriced co-working spaces, really. And you may have heard that uh, venture capital funds slash accelerators like 88 miles per hour, 88 MPH and Spark aren't exactly bullish at the moment. 88 MPH says they won't be investing in any more African startups for something like two years, up to 36 months possibly. Mm. And Spark has just shed its load by cutting off some of its startups, you know, some startups they've invested in. They reckon that African startups are not delivering serious investable opportunities at the moment. Mm. On the other hand, very recently, Hong Kong's preeminent VC firm and startup accelerator has just set up shop in Kenya. What do you make of all this? Um, yeah, you said a mouthful. So let me try and piece it all together. I believe that, yes, I, perhaps the amount of great ideas that are coming up or coming out are not as robust as you would find in Israel or you would find in the valley in Silicon Valley. You know, um, I just believe that we need to find a way of finding those ideas and funding those ideas because there are a lot of ideas out there Perhaps they have not been funded. Um, you know, they have not been able to be commercialized. So we need to systemize how we go about doing that because a lot of people would say, yes, as much as we can create funds. I mean, South Africa, the government has invested a lot in development funding institutions such as the National Empowerment Fund, um, the IDC, the CIFAs. You know, they keep cropping up once in every four years, five years. But it's a function of how do we make sure that the amount invested in that, you know, is a return that we can all see it's tangible. You know, how do we actually, let's say, get an IRR out of the investments that we've made to, to create these, these organizations? Because sometimes um, wh how I feel that it's measured, it's a function of how many small businesses did we fund? So it's 100, so we're fine. 
you know, we funded 100 businesses. Not we funded 100 businesses. They've been able to return, um, you know, you know, this IRR. They've been able to create so many jobs. I mean, that's not something that we are tangibly measuring. Um, and I think it's a critical part of monitoring and evaluation. And, and that's a very key role that Simodisa wants to play to be able to advise small businesses and say, guys, um, we're investing a lot, but we're not necessarily getting the IRR that we should be getting. Or government, you're investing a lot, but then, you know, it should not be a number, um, you know, a ticking exercise. It should be a function of uh, this organization has to be self-sustaining. The National Empowerment Fund gives out so much, and out of that that's gone out, this has come back, and this has made us successful. So we are not hearing success stories of these development funding institutions. I think the IDC is a good example because it's done well, it's been sustainable, and you haven't been reading um, you know, stories in the newspaper about how this was done or how this was not done. You normally hear, um, you know, if you look at also how they financially performed. Um, they've been in the game for a long time, but you know, the CIFA, CIFA has only been around for two to three years. So we are yet to see how it has performed because they are more on the micro level. I mean, the sizes of, of deals that they fund are not like the IDCs. Um, so it's a function of how do we ensure that there is an IRR in the investments that the government makes um, or the private sector does? Because, I mean, there's a lot of money now also being spent on enterprise and supply development. So, guys, let's do the numbers. You know, let's get the numbers going and those numbers need to make sense. And from a VC point of view, what about the criticism that uh, venture capital funds seem content to throw money at ideas um, but don't seem to be coming to the table with, you know, the support that startups need in order to succeed? What do you say to venture capital interests that take that approach mm. to pouring money into our into our ecosystem? Well... I believe that the ideology around VC is that their value proposition to funding and seeding businesses is the experience that they contribute, you know, um, their ability to take that business from where it is, help it integrate, you know, systems that will make it more profitable, perhaps leaner if it's an industry that needs a lean structure, and also access to markets. So you cannot just throw money. You know, whether it's VC, whether it's the government, you cannot just throw money at a business because then you are bound to fail. You're bound not to get the returns. I mean, you're kind of just saying, you know, here's a, you know, here's a piece of chocolate now run, you know, instead of saying, well, I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to sh put you into shape. I'm going to apply my experience, my expertise and ensure that you are now able to grow, you are now able to scale, and I'm going to introduce you to, you know, global markets. Because, I mean, the whole purpose of being a VC is that um, the company that's being given the funding, you know, also has to be given the access to markets, the access to knowledge, the access to technology, and the ability for them to just guide them through the process. Yeah, so if there is a venture capital firm out there that's not necessarily incubating the, the business that they've invested in, then it kind of just goes um, against the whole idea of being a venture capital. Fantastic. Well, now we're going to shut things down, uh, but on a very light note. <laughs> What's your favorite thing on the internet right now? Anything random? Oh, goodness. Um, financial Times? Yeah, that's kind of um, my, I like to read the Financial Times. And so that's one thing that I've been reading up a lot recently. A bit boring, but that's the truth. <laughs> so you probably have the app on your phone and that kind of thing. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> okay, cool. 
Well, mine's probably SoundCloud. I enjoy SoundCloud. Okay. No, I, I've, I've heard about it, but I haven't tried SoundCloud. Yeah. Well, you should know about it. And this podcast is available on SoundCloud. Hey, so. Brilliant. Reason for me to check it out now. <laughs> Good. Uh, what's your, what are you reading right now? I am finishing up um, Shantaram. It's a book that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a very big book. I know the book. It's awesome. Yeah, so I went to India earlier on this year, and I was just fascinated by the country. And I saw this Shantaram book. I was like, this is very interesting. I'd like to capture another person's experience in India um, that goes beyond mine. So it's a very, it's a wonderful book. And uh, Johnny Depp was at some point uh, attached to to play that character in a movie and it just all fell apart. I felt really bad. I think he would have done a great job. Absolutely. I mean, if somebody has the ability to put it to life, hey, I'll definitely be one person that will go and watch it. Absolutely. Now, where did you take your last holiday? Israel doesn't count because that wasn't really a holiday. It wasn't a holiday. Um, the last holiday that I, I went on is, I would say India. Oh, actually, I, I kind of consolidate my business travels with um you know my 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 work travels but the last proper holiday i took was italy i went to lake como and milan so ah, that is fantastic <laughs> yeah okay so finally what question didn't i ask that you wish i had um a question you'd ask a lot of people ask me how old am i you know exactly or am i married do i have children and i'm not married i don't have children and yes why do you think people ask that a lot? Well, they're kind of very curious. They're like, okay, well, she's not a bad-looking person. You know, she's quite sharp. She's quite, um, you know, she's quite a, a smart person. And so normally is it that stigma of, you know, it's, you're a career-focused person, so your other side of life suffers. So how do you actually create that work-life balance? Do you have a work-life balance? And, well, I do now. Before, I didn't. You know, now... It, you know, having been at the South African Black Entrepreneurs Forum, um, it's kind of a whirlwind of experiences. But now being at Simodisa, it feels like now what I've learned, you know, I've, 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 I've done a lot. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes. I've learned a lot from my mistakes. And now Simodisa is the next level of how now do I take my experiences to the next level? And also kind of just being in that A-team environment. It's like if, if I was to be remembered for anything, perhaps this is a question, what would it be? And for me, it would be I contributed towards South Africa's robust venture capital culture and a robust entrepreneurial culture, whereby, you know, now we have seen significant changes in our ability to create jobs in South Africa. And, you know, it's, it's a buzzword, job creation. But now it's like, guys, let it be an action word, not just a buzzword. How do we start measuring things that we have done and, 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 and you know, monitoring those things so that, People don't just invest recklessly. I mean, the government, I would say that there is a lot of reckless investment uh, without necessarily measuring returns. So it's a function of how, what role am I going to play in all of that? And it will, I'd like to be a significant role player. Imagine there might be some people, after everything you've just said, interested in joining this A-team in a more personal capacity. <laughs> well, you guys will just have to track it down yourselves. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, Simodisa, well, we will be doing a lot of activities. Uh, we have, I mean, Simodisa has been around since 2013. Um, it was, you know, created by a small group of people that, it was essentially a hobby, but now they felt, well, you know, we're getting a lot of ground. We're engaging with ministers, Pandor, we're engaging with, um, you know, Rob Davies, we're engaging with Trevor Manuel. We actually now need to 
um, institutionalize what we're doing. And then they appointed myself as the managing director. And so now it, we're going to be relaunching the next chapter of Simodisa as of September. So I would say just keep a, a, a close eye on, you know, Simodisa and the things we'll be doing. Like we'll be curating the entrepreneurship agenda at Leader X, which is a huge conference of conferences focusing on entrepreneurship, innovation, and leadership. So it's going to be at the Santin Convention Center on the 17th of September. And we're going to be launching our Startup Thursdays. Um, you know, Simodisa is housed at Alpha Code, which is a fintech incubator, which you had the privilege of, you know, experiencing and viewing it. And it's an awesome environment. So we will be, be quite active. You know, now it's a function of there will be consistency. We'll go beyond just the advocacy work we've been doing because we have been able to publish some interesting reports. You know, recently we have the top 25 constraints which will officially launch in September. But September is a month of kind of just relaunching Simodisa, the second chapter. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on all these developments. And thank you so much for giving us your time and, and letting us into the awesome work you're doing here. Uh, we certainly have a vested interest in Africa, you know, joining the, the strategy table in a real way at, at, you know, at the global stage. And so here's to hoping you help us do that. Of course. I mean, when, we, when I met you earlier, I was like, no, no, these guys are part of the A-team. So we'll be working with you guys. We'll be working with Af African, I-African. And yeah, I think in terms of content and you know, content on putting together the ecosystem, we'd love to work with you guys. That's awesome. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, is that, the, <laughs> is that the, you know, the drum roll? That's the, that's the A-team song. <laughs> No, absolutely. It's all about being A teams, guys. You know, you have to be the A T, the A teams MVP. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for your time. It's my absolute pleasure. Cheers. Thank you for listening to African Tech Conversation.